Hello, everyone. This is Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me for Radio Luke's Illicit, episode 57. And the title of this episode is War in the Middle East and John Kerry in Rome. Well, before I dive into talking about a couple of kind of weighty subjects, I did have a, uh, a Cicada update for you. Yes, we live in Cicada City. It used to be Cincinnati, but I think maybe we should call it Cicada City now because these things are coming out in force. Yeah, these are the 17-year the Cicadas. And I, I saw my first one on Wednesday. First one, I, I saw, I think it was, it was out, uh, it was on the sidewalk. It was pretty much dead. Uh, at the time, but it was definitely one. And, and then Thursday, I saw a few more. And then Friday, I actually started to hear them for the first time. So you can, they, they start making this this noise, uh, the cicada noise, kind of a chattering type of a noise. And they were out just a little bit Friday. And then today, it's even a little bit louder. And I expect that's going to be increasing every day here for you know, until they hit their peak. Right now, they're not anywhere close to their peak. They're just kind of just getting warmed up. So, so yeah, we've got uh, cicadas to look forward to for the next few weeks, and uh, I'm sure that I'll have some some update uh, updates for you. Hopefully, you won't see any flying around in the uh, the background here. They do have a way of getting into your house, so you never know. Uh, there might be a cicada in a in a, a future uh, a future live stream. Well, anyway, um, I had a, a couple of items here that I wanted to talk about today. I wanted to talk about uh, war in the Middle East and John Kerry in Rome, as the title suggests. And so let's go ahead and dive right in here. We'll talk about the uh, stuff going on in the Middle East right now. Now, one of the things that, uh, of course, the news, it's been in the news quite a bit here over the past week, the events going on in in Israel and, and in Gaza and in the fight between Hamas and, and between Israel. And for right now, anyway, it appears that there is a, a ceasefire that was drawn or, or declared between the uh, the two parties that seems to be holding for right now. I mean, one of the things when we you know looked at this last week and anytime you see this kind of conflict stir, stir up in the Middle East, you always wonder about the possibility of a wider war. It, it appears, at least for right now, that, that that's been avoided. And that's a good thing. I mean, we can, can be happy that, that that has stopped. And we can, be, uh, we can pray that that would, would continue. And if, if for nothing else, simply just for the people that are involved. And really, uh, for the stability of just the region. Uh, and also, as well, for the, uh, for the wider world. Because things could get out of hand there. And and there's no, you know, it's it's hard to say sometimes when the shooting starts starts where it's going to stop. But at least for right now, it appears that uh, that the uh, the fight has stopped. Now, one of the things, and I wanted to to follow up on this because this is something that uh, that we had talked to talked some about last week. The the correct biblical position as well as the correct constitutional position uh, for Americans and, and for American Christians, I'm speaking here as, as an American Christian, toward the fighting in the Middle East is one of neutrality. And this is something that I had uh, quoted from John Robbins' uh, 2006 essay, The Religious Wars of the 21st Century, last week. And in that, that particular piece, John Robbins made the very important point that Christians do not have a dog in that fight. You know, what you're looking at here is a war between uh, medieval Judaism and medieval Islam. 
as Christians, this isn't something that concerns us, but, and this is also something that John Robbins pointed out in his essay, The Religious Wars of the 21st Century, because of uh, Jews and because of dispensationalist evangelicals, we are involved because they continually push our involvement. And it's not just Jews and, and evangelical Christians that push this. Uh, there's also a, a, an increasing... Um, a Muslim contingent in the United States as well. You see that in the House. There are a lot of comments that are made by, for instance, Rashida Tlaib, and um, as well as uh, oh, the uh, the one from uh, Minnesota. Her name is escaping me right now. Uh, Ilhan Omar. They actually were both very vocal supporters of uh, of Hamas. Yeah, and again, this isn't a a fight that America needs to be a part of. But unfortunately, because of because of people who have very strong feelings for one way or the other for, for one of these sides, we are involved. And of course, there has been decade after decade after decade of, if not unquestioning support for Israel among both parties in the United States, certainly something very close to it. And, and this is something that has actually harmed the United States. It has gotten us involved in a conflict <clears throat> that we don't need to be involved in. And and yet this is something that that has c- continues to go, and it does it shows no sign of letting up. Now a few things here, and one thing that really stood out to me about the reaction from American politicians over the past week is uh, some comments that were made both by Joe Biden and by Ted Cruz. Now you might look at that and you say, well, Joe Biden, you consider him to be kind of a liberalish Democrat. <clears throat> Um, a liberal Democrat, then you look at Ted Cruz and you say, well, he's a conservative Republican, certainly one of the leaders of the uh, the Republican Party in the Senate and somebody who uh, who holds himself forth as a Christian. And he may be a Christian, I don't know, uh, but he certainly presents himself as a Christian. And you wouldn't think, you would think that these two men would, would not have a whole lot in common, but they found common ground on, on one particular thing, and that is that the U.S. has to pay for Israel's war. There's a headline, and in fact, let me uh, let me share this here. We'll go ahead and see if we can get that taken care of. Okay. All right, so uh, <clears throat> let's take a look here. Okay. So here's a, this is a headline. This is actually from the Australian Broadcasting Company, ABC, but that's the, that's not the ABC in the United States. Of course, we have the ABC here, the American Broadcasting Company. This is the Australian Broadcasting Company. I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to play the video here. It's about three and a half minute video, but just look at the headline. Video. Biden says U.S. will replenish Iron Dome and contribute to Gaza rebuild. Now, if you're not familiar with the term Iron Dome, it's a missile defense system that was developed, apparently a joint effort by Israel and by the United States. And Israel expended quite a large number of rockets. Uh, the, it, it's, a, it's a missile defense. I mean, when the, the Iron Dome, it, it shoots uh, anti-missile missiles uh, that were designed to block the rockets that were being fired at Israel from Hamas. And Apparently, these things, as modern weapons tend to be, are pretty expensive by the piece. I think I may have read somewhere, and I don't have it in front of me. I'm sorry I don't have this. But I, I want to say it was maybe on the range of like $20,000 a pop for these these uh, Iron Dome missiles. And they fired quite a few of them over the, the fighting that took place for several days. 
So uh, the, Joe Biden thinks that the American taxpayer should pick up the cost for, for Israel's wars um, and, and replenish their, their Iron Dome missiles. And he doesn't stop there either. He also, not only does he expect the United States to pay for Israel's weapons, but he also expects America, and I shouldn't say just the United States, I should say really American taxpayers, because that's ultimately who's footing the bill on this. And he says that uh, you, the U.S. is supposed to contribute to the Gaza rebuild. So, you know, Israel uh, had, uh, I think, fighter planes and that that were uh, were dropping bombs, and I... I, I don't know if they had other ways of uh, of delivering ordnance on Gaza, but there was a lot of damage that was done in in Gaza by the Israeli Defense Forces, and Joe Biden thinks again that the American taxpayer should pay for that. Now, I'm deliberately avoiding the whole issue of who started this thing. I'm not interested in delving into the politics of uh, of Israel. But I'm just analyzing this from just a, from a high level. Israel is a foreign country, and yet you have Joe Biden running around out there saying that the United States has to pick up the cost of, of Israel's wars. Well, if, if Israel fights a war and we're, we're told, you know, Israel has a right to defend itself, and I'm not here to quibble with that. But if Israel has a right to defend itself, it also has a responsibility to pay for its own defense, not the American taxpayer. Now, along those same lines, Ted Cruz came out, and he's also saying exactly the same thing as Biden. Cruz calls on Biden administration to replenish Israel's Iron Dome. United States Senator Ted Cruz led a group of Republican, a group of Republican senators. So it wasn't just Ted Cruz, but it was mean, it was a, a group of Republican senators led by Ted Cruz Wednesday and calling for the Biden administration to stand with Israel as Israelis are under constant attack from Iran-backed terrorist groups, including Hamas. Senator Cruz laid part of the blame for the current conflict at the feet of the Biden-Harris administration. Cruz said the world just six months ago is a very different place with Israel at peace with Arab neighbors. And the Abraham Accords negotiated by the Trump administration was a major reason why. So I guess apparently you know, what he's saying is that Joe Biden has caused this war in the Middle East. And therefore, somehow the American taxpayers need to, to pay for this. Well, you know, one of the things that Ted Cruz doesn't talk about here. And, and this is something that was brought up when I was, was doing some reading on this. You may recall that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the long-serving prime minister of Israel, has been in a lot of uh, political and even legal difficulty. And there are some questions if he was even going to be able to continue as prime minister, uh, even as recently as two or three weeks ago. And it's interesting that this war broke out right about the time that that it looked like he might be removed as as prime minister. You know, is, is it possible that uh, the Benjamin Netanyahu may have uh, you know, maybe helped uh, helped along the you know, uh, if not start the war, provoke it, or at least uh, um, come up with a very uh, harsh response to the war to the uh, to the uh, oh to the provocations of Hamas. In order to help himself politically. I mean, I think that certainly is one possibility, but Ted Cruz doesn't really want you to consider that here. He wants to hang all the, the blame on the Biden administration, and therefore the American people have to, to pay the freight. Well, whether or not the Biden administration had anything to do with it, I don't know, and I'm not here to, to debate that point. But the bottom line is, Israel's a foreign country. Israel undertook a war. You know, whether it was a defensive war, I mean, if you want to argue it's a defensive war, that's fine. Israel needs to pay for that, not the American people.
you know, not the United States. But but Ted Cruz and, and Joe Biden agree that, that the United States does have a responsibility to do that. And I, I would say that that their arguments are both unconstitutional. I mean, there's no provision in the U.S. Constitution to give the kind of foreign aid, whether it's uh, civilian aid or military aid to Israel that, that America, America has um, for quite some time. And and there's no there's no biblical case to be made for it. I mean, when you're talking about taking money from the American people and sending it to a foreign country, whether that foreign country is Israel or some other foreign country, uh, that is theft. That is not an appropriate use. Uh, that's not a, an appropriate function for the civil magistrate to do. You know, and but I mean, this is something that we do all the time, and there's there's very little real discussion about that, and and it's something. This is bipartisan. You can see both Ted Cruz and a group of Republican senators were saying this, and apparently he prevailed on Joe Biden, and Joe Biden's out there, you know, mouthing the same words, and and I think this is an outrage, and it's the kind of thing that needs to stop. Now, one of the things. And I have to say here with, with Ted Cruz, I, I, I find him very frustrating because he's a guy that in some ways, you know, as a Christian, that I should be able to look to and say, you know, there's someone who who I can admire, there's someone who I can get behind. I mean, he he's obviously a very bright guy. I mean, he, he graduated from Harvard Law School. I saw one of his professors as a well-known law professor, Alan Dershowitz, was on TV just praising his intellect. Uh, Dershowitz thinks he's brilliant. And, and and so do a lot of people, and and I'll take their word for that. You know, I mean, they're they're. I mean, Ted Cruz is a very smart man, and he's very well educated, and he's someone who claims to be a Christian. And, and like I say, as a Christian, that should be somebody that that I feel like I could get behind, because certainly as Christians, we we need defenders in in the civil government, whether that's at the federal level, or the state level, or the local level, because Christians in the United States of America are under serious attack. And I'd like to be able to get behind Ted Cruz, but unfortunately with Ted Cruz is he has this bad habit of uh, of uh, really putting the interest of foreign powers, I think, many times ahead of the interest of, of his own country. And, and that's a real problem. And so what do I mean by that? Well, there was... You know, in, in this particular case, he's uh, he's flacking for Israel, but this isn't the first time that he's done that. There was a uh, a piece that he wrote, and this goes back to 2015. This is dated September 3rd, 2015. You may recall it was at that time that Pope Francis made his his visit to the United States, and and a day or two later, after this particular piece was written, that Pope Francis the first time of any pope ever addressed a joint session of congress or at least addressed congress and and that was a pretty big deal and and so here's ted cruz writing this this uh really pretty glowing article on on the pope now ted cruz is a southern baptist but he has no problem going out and and praising the pope i mean here's you can see the headline here ted cruz pope francis leads on abortion marriage and Religious liberty, and he even adds this this uh, subheadline here. He says, "In an era when many global leaders are descending to relativism, Pope Francis continues to proclaim the truth." Well, good grief! Pope Francis does not proclaim the truth. Pope Francis is a Jesuit, 
And, and Pope Francis sits in the seat of Antichrist. Pope Francis does not proclaim the truth. He may say some things that in isolation are true, but if we consider it within the entire system of Roman Catholic theology, when you consider his Jesuit background, when you consider his position, he does not speak the truth. I mean, the devil can quote scripture. I mean, we know that because of Jesus' temptation is recorded for us in the book of Matthew. So simply because the devil can, can quote scripture, which is true, that doesn't mean that he speaks the truth. I mean, he was, was twisting scripture, he was misapplying it in order to, to get Jesus to, uh, to, to bend to his will. And so just because the Pope comes out and says something that may be in isolation true, he's not speaking the truth because it's within, the, 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 it's within a false theological and philosophical system. I mean, you have to consider what someone says, not just in, in, an, in, in, in isolation, but you have to fit it into their larger system of thought. Pope Francis does not speak the truth any more than any other pope speaks the truth because they all sit, sit in the seat of Antichrist. I mean, that is what Pope Francis' job is. You know, and Ted Cruz seems to have no clue uh, about that, uh, there was another article, and I, I don't have it here in front of me. I guess I should have uh, should have grabbed a link to it. But there was another article where, in fact, it was in it was in Christianity Today, and it quotes Ted Cruz, and it also quoted um, oh the uh, the fellow he was the uh, the governor of uh, of Arkansas. Mm, I don't know why I can't. Uh, oh uh, Huckabee. Mike Huckabee, yeah, Mike Huckabee is quoting Mike Huckabee, who I believe was not only as a Southern Baptist, but I think he actually was a minister, if I recall correctly. But Mike Huckabee was also singing the praises of Pope Francis. Now, I mean, a lot of people look to the Southern Baptist Convention as as a very conservative uh, denomination. It's certainly the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. But I mean, here you have these guys out there singing the praises of Pope Francis, and and it's it's just it's disgraceful. Um, he Pope Francis is not a Christian. He's not a brother in Christ. He does not know the Lord because he does not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. He does not believe that one is saved through faith in Christ alone or through belief in Christ alone. Uh, it's it's a a mongrelized uh, works faith system. It, it and it, it's filled with massive doctrinal errors. And on top of that, he's the one that sits at the top of this whole uh, corrupt church. And and as as I mentioned, he, he sits in the seat of Antichrist. And Protestants used to understand this, but it doesn't seem that anybody understands this anymore. Maybe with just uh, a very few exceptions. And unfortunately, you know, whether Ted Cruz understands it or not, he's certainly not willing to speak out about it. Now, I, I guess on one hand, I, I can't be too super hard on, on Ted Cruz because of that, because very few Protestant ministers either believe that the office of the papacy is the Antichrist, as our Reformer forefathers did, uh, or if they do believe that, they're, they're not willing to say it. So I mean, if if the church, if the Protestant church can't get this right, I guess it it shouldn't be too surprising if uh, if a senator uh, doesn't get this right as well. So let's take a look here. There's a few other things. Okay, I guess this is uh, actually going to lead into my second story. You know, 
we were just talking here about the uh, the support of uh, of the office of uh, of Antichrist, the support of the office of the Pope by American politicians. So this does it uh, leads into that next story here. Uh, John Kerry meets Pope Francis in Rome. So let's take a look at this here. Now I'm going to turn to the. Um, th- th- this is some really highbrow journalism. Okay, th- this is uh, the the highbrow the the highly respected People magazine. <laughs> Um, I, I've got another source on this as well, but I think this is just as uh, legitimate a source as, as any in talking about this, and, and the, the story seems to be accurate. Uh, and uh, so let's uh, let's go ahead and start with this. It's got the headline here: John Kerry meets Pope Francis, applauds him for being ahead of the curve on climate issues. We need everybody in this fight. John Kerry, the U.S. Special Climate Envoy, said after meeting Pope Francis. So let's just read through a little bit bit of this here. John Kerry, the Biden administration's special envoy on climate change, visited the Vatican over the weekend. Now, this is last weekend. Uh, The story is dated, what the the date on this story is, May 17th. So yeah, this was, uh, was a week ago. John Kerry, the Biden administration's special envoy on climate change, visited the Vatican over the weekend to meet Pope Francis and discuss the world's efforts to quell the growing environmental crisis. Okay, well... Yeah, you know, how do we know that's a growing environmental crisis? I mean, we know that because the people that very much want a growing environmental crisis tell us so. Um, yeah, uh, that, that's that's a big problem. But we're not. I'm not gonna gonna get off on that tangent right now. Maybe that's uh, we'll save that for another time. So let's continue here. Kerry, 77, greeted a smiling Pope Francis, 84, on Saturday, according to America Magazine. Now, I'm going to refer to America Magazine in just a moment. That's a Jesuit magazine, uh, uh, the Catholic News Service. Now, they call it the Catholic News Service, which I I suppose is true in a way, but it's, it's a Jesuit magazine. The Pope is one of the great voices of reason and compelling moral authority on the subject of climate crisis. Kerry said in a Vatican News interview after their meeting, he's been ahead of the curve. He's been a leader. President Joe Biden named Kerry the first ever U.S. special presidential envoy on climate, giving him the role of coordinating the country's efforts to combat climate change with other nations around the world. So, of course, you can see Joe Biden and John Kerry are both globalists, uh, as well as is Pope Francis. And Pope Francis and John Kerry and Joe Biden... Uh, all three Roman Catholics, they, they hope to be able to use climate to promote their favorite pet project of globalism, of, subver- uh, of undermining, uh, subverting the sovereignty of the United States of America and subjecting us all to world government. You know, and, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this, but one of the, the real frustrations that I have, and I know I've mentioned this before, is the fact that so few people seem to be aware of what's going on right in front of their face. You know, I, sometimes I really think that it's it's almost, you know, the devil mocking uh, Christians and saying, you know, I double dog dare you to do something about it. Because these guys don't even try to hide their globalist ambitions. I mean, it's just in your face, right out in the open. And let's see, there's some pictures of uh, John Kerry and the Pope in his uh, funny hat there in full uh, papal regalia. Um. So let's go on to uh, to the next story here. This is the story. In fact, this is the one that the People magazine referred to uh, in America magazine. You can see up here, it's uh, America, the Jesuit Review. This is a very um, often quoted, uh, very kind of highly regarded source uh, of news from the Jesuits. And uh, they they pushed their line unashamedly, as, as you would expect them to. 
And that's one of the things that's kind of interesting. You know, you you look at, at uh, magazines, so say Christianity Today, for example, it's supposed to represent evangelical Protestants, but they, they don't. Uh, in fact, there's very little in Christianity Today that's Christian. I think John Robbins once called that a hotbed of, of feminism and socialism and uh, all of this kind of thing. And he was talking, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, and it's only gotten worse. Uh, in time. I, I actually do, and I, I probably shouldn't admit this, I actually do subscribe to Christianity Today, uh, but I do it to get some of the articles and keep tabs on what it is they're saying, so you don't have to. Uh, that's my service to you as the, re- as, uh, as the listener to this podcast. So let's read a little bit, uh, a little bit out of this. Asked why he came, he, that is, uh, John Kerry, asked why he came first to visit Pope Francis. Mr. Kerry, who is Catholic, said, quote, The Pope is one of the great voices of reason and compelling moral authority on the subject of climate change. He's been ahead of the curve. He's been a leader. His encyclical Laudato Si is really a very, very powerful document, eloquent and morally very persuasive, end quote. Mr. Kerry said he believes the Pope Francis, quote, will be a very important voice leading up to and through the Glasgow Conference, which I believe he intends to attend. Mr. Kerry was also overheard telling his staff that the Pope would attend the Glasgow Conference. Now, the Glasgow Conference, apparently it is some kind of uh, environmental conference, uh, I assume being held in Glasgow, Scotland, um, sometime in the near future. Let's see. Should have looked this up. Okay, it's next. It says it's next November, according to this, uh, according to this article. So I take it that would be November of 2022. Yeah, and in fact, here and this is from the same article. It says Mr. Biden also plans for the United States to play a leading role at the 26 UN Climate Change Conference of the Parties in Glasgow next summer and next November. A gathering of nations have signed on to the Paris Accords of 2015, which, unfortunately, our globalist imposter president, and yes, I did say he's an imposter. He's, he was, I, I, I don't for a minute believe that, uh, that Joe Biden was, was legitimately elected president. I, I think he was, uh, was selected. I think he was uh, rigged uh, into the Oval Office, uh, which is actually kind of interesting. I mean, when you think about it, America's had two Roman Catholic presidents, John F. Kennedy and now Joe Biden. And uh, Kennedy, both in, 19, in 1960, and of course, Joe Biden in 2020, 60 years later, both of those elections were marred by very serious and very credible uh, charges of election fraud. And I, I guess that's not surprising. You know, we've, we've talked about that here in the space before, uh, that the uh, the Democratic Party, and both of them are Democrats, you know, that the Democratic Party is the party of rum Romanism and rebellion, as uh, Sam is the uh, Civil War vet and uh, Presbyterian minister, Dr. Samuel D. Burchard, commented way back in 1884. And Burchard was right then, and, and he is right today, and, and you're seeing this at work right in front of our faces. I mean, this stuff is right in our faces. So here you got you got John Kerry running around saying, you know, Laudato C is just awesome. Well, Laudato C is I, I think you could really consider it. It's the 2015 encyclical written by Pope Francis on the environment. And in fact, when he came over in 2015, because this was released, I think is around June or so of 2015, when he came to the United States in September of 2015, he proceeded to lecture Congress and, by extension, the American people uh, about all of their environmental sins. 
and and this was the sort of the the his basis for his uh, his lecture. Now, you know, one of the things that's interesting too is I, I think it would be fair to say of Laudato Si that basically it's the blueprint for uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's absurd, ridiculous, unconstitutional, and, and I would say even quite evil. Green New Deal that was introduced, oh goodness, was that in 2016 or 2017, 2018? I, I can't remember right now, but I know it's been within the last three to four years, something like this. And uh, it's kind of interesting because when that the Green New Deal was introduced, it was introduced by two people who were Jesuit educated. Uh, Ocasio-Cortez herself has degree has a degree i think maybe two degrees uh, i know that she did at least get her undergraduate degree from boston college which is a jesuit school and by her side in presenting this was senator edward markey of massachusetts who graduated both uh, as an undergraduate and also has a law degree from jesuit boston college so you got a Jesuit pope uh, whose work is now is being built upon by a Jesuit uh, representative and presumably her staff and, and people wrote this thing. But she was the one that was was put out and uh, was uh, the, the public face of this as well as uh, as well as another Jesuit educated senator. And again, this stuff is right in your face. You don't have to look hard. It's It's right out there. And I wish that. I wish this weren't so, and I wish I didn't have to sit here and, and point this out, but I feel like I really need to because so few people actually do point it out. As Christians, we need to be pointing these things out. You know, you think about, you know, the Apostle Paul, didn't, did he not exhort, I think it was uh, in his uh, letter to the Ephesians, he talked about marking those uh, who cause divisions, you know, have no fellowship for the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them, he said. And I think in another place he talked about marking uh, you know, those who, you know, who teach false doctrine. So we're to point these things out. We're called to this. This is part of our job as Christians is to point this stuff out. And, and the Protestant church needs to stand up and point this stuff out. You know, and I know it's hard. I mean, it's, you know, you can, can be called, uh, you know, you're seen as intolerant or hateful or, or as a terrible person. You know, we, I, I don't hate uh, Roman Catholic people. Um, but we do disagree with them. And when you have a coordinated, organized effort by a foreign power, and the Roman church state is a foreign power as Americans, uh, as a Protestant, I, I, we need to stand up and speak out against this. Even some Roman Catholics are very critical of, of the Pope. In fact, there are some Roman Catholics that do a far, far better job of criticizing the Pope for his globalism, for his socialism, uh, for his nonsense about the environment than Protestants do. I mean, there are Roman Catholics out there that have, have, may have very incisive comments. There was, there was one Roman Catholic representative. I, I can't remember his name right now, but I recall this distinctly. Uh, he was a representative from Arizona, and he refused even to go to the congressional session where the Pope was speaking because of objections to the Pope and, and to his, the, the Pope's socialism. And I thought, you know, would that God's people had the, the insight and the, the courage of that one man? Uh, you know, I, I was was actually very impressed with what he said. Now, I, I don't believe as a Roman Catholic he's a Christian, but he understands the understood the issues at hand better than an awful lot of people who who claim to be Christians. 
So, you know, not only is Laudato Si, not only is it is it a document written by a Jesuit and the uh, and promoted by people who are are themselves Jesuit educated, uh, it's not it shouldn't be surprising to anyone that the the uh, Laudato Si is also a very globalist document. Here's here's an example. I'm just going to quote. This is from paragraph 175 of Laudato Si. Now, this is Pope Francis writing here. He says, Given this situation, it is essential to devise stronger and more efficiently organized international institutions with functionaries who are appointed fairly by agreement among national governments and empowered to impose sanctions. So... I think this is interesting. I mean, first of all, he makes this comment that, you know, the functionaries, <laughs> you know, in other words, he's promoting this sort of globalist technocracy. Well, he wants the functionaries appointed fairly. So I guess, I don't know, we get a whole army of Anthony Fauci's, you know, go out and slap masks on us and, you know, lecture us about all of our, our deficiencies. Um, so he wants a whole army of people like this, but he wants them fairly appointed, Um by agreement among national governments. Now, I don't know what fairly appointed means. I, I have no idea what's fair in in the Pope's mind here, um, but it's it's probably not something that any of us would like. Of course, this whole thing is ridiculous. Um, this is something that should be soundly rejected by any patriotic American or anybody who's a patriot of, uh, of, of a country where he lives anywhere. I mean, if you value the Westphalian world order, if you value national sovereignty— if you value not having your your nation uh, subject to a foreign power such as the Vatican, you need to oppose this, and you need to oppose this loudly. But this is what the Pope wrote. This is from Laudato Si, and it's just one of, you know, goodness. I, I mean, you know, people will say, you know, well, if you think the, that the, the Vatican's going to push in world government, you're a conspiracy theorist. Well, nonsense. There's no no... No guesswork to this. It's not like you have to go dig through, you know, some some uh, dusty, dank, dark twelfth uh, century library. You know, the, you know, it's it's not like something out of uh, oh, what was that book that was popular a while back? Um, uh, the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, you know, you got to run around and put together all these really obscure clues. And that. no, this this stuff's right out there in the World Wide Web. You know, in, in in Rome, you know, the the Pope and and other church functionaries are constantly advocating for world government. I mean, you have to be will. I mean, if you even just just briefly read through um, documents from the Vatican, I mean, this stuff just hits you right between the eyes. They don't try to hide it. Um, they don't even try to soft pedal it. It's in your face. I mean, they are literally in your face. And I, I think sometimes, you know, these guys, they, they, I wonder if they're just laughing at us because, you know, they, they, they say this stuff. And, and I, I don't think most people really hear what they're saying. So, I mean, here's Pope Francis calling for world government. And if that quote that I gave you wasn't enough, you know, the idea that, that there should be uh, organized international institutions with functionaries who are appointed fairly by agreement among national governments and empowered to impose sanctions— so, I mean, that's that's what uh, governing uh, authorities do. They impose sanctions. So do you want some some international body um, favored by the Pope imposing sanctions on your country, you know, whether you're an American or whether you live somewhere else, and say, oh, that's a, that's a great thing? No, that is a disaster. That is an evil system. That is world government. You know, that's the Tower of Babel, uh, which they're, they're working very hard to try to, uh, to reinstate. Now, if that quote wasn't enough, in the very same paragraph, a few sentences later, um, 
Francis quotes uh, John the twenty third. Quote, John the twenty third was the Pope that was presiding at the at least at the beginning of of Vatican II back in the nineteen sixties. Now, uh, John the twenty third he died before the end of that, but he was was uh, was Pope at the time Vatican II was called. And there's a quote from a, a somewhat lengthy quote from John the twenty third. I'll just read part of it here. He said, "This is John the twenty third." Uh, quoted by Pope Francis in Laudato Si. John XXIII said this, There is urgent need of a true world political authority, as my predecessor, the blessed John XXIII, indicated some years ago. And I'm going to have to apologize. I, I actually misread that. That quote was from Benedict XVI. So that was the Pope that preceded Pope Francis. And so uh, Pope Francis is quoting his predecessor, uh, Benedict the Sixteenth, who himself was quoting John the Twenty Third, uh, who who was was openly advocating for world government, and of course Benedict the Sixteenth openly advocated for world government as well. And in fact, that's one of the things that you can find: it's Pope after Pope after Pope, it's statement after statement after statement, encyclical encyclical after encyclical, as well as in other church documents. You can't miss this stuff. Uh, the popes want world government. You have to understand this as a Christian. And, and, and I, I know I kind of pound the table on this type of thing, and I talk about it a lot, but I, I think that this is, is, is something that's so important as Christians that we understand the evil of the Roman church state, the nature of the Roman church state. The Roman church state, it is the mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots that you see in Revelation. The office of the papacy is the office of Antichrist. And I think it's important to understand this. Uh, yet, as Christians, we've almost we've almost unilaterally disarmed ourselves, you know. And and we can't go out and and provide any effective pushback and any effective fight back on this kind of stuff that's being pushed by the Pope and by the Church, unless you first understand who it is you're dealing with. And unfortunately, today, right now, the speaking strictly here for the American church, and I'm talking here about conservative American Protestants. I'm not talking about the liberals. I'm just talking about conservative, Bible-believing churches in the United States do not teach this. They do not understand it. And and I'm I'm very much afraid that that we have, have blinded ourselves to the real danger and the real evil of the Roman church state. Now, I'd like to close tonight. You know, we talked about a couple of things that... Uh, I mean, there, there's some some weighty stuff out there, and, and quite frankly, the the news isn't very good. You know, I I had a friend of mine a few weeks ago. He texted me and he says, "Is there any good news?" And you know, I replied to him. I said, "You know, not much. I mean, not, not at least if you look at the headlines, anyway, uh, of of the uh, of what's going on, because it, it's 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 terrible stuff. And you know, whether you're talking about on issues of of globalism or uh, environmentalism and the, and the kind of terrible things that they 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 have planned for uh, for the United States and for the other uh, countries of the industrialized West. You know, if you look at the the political arrangement, I mean, you've got critical race theory taking over our institutions. I mean, the the latest institution to fall is the military, which seems to have gone full woke. Um, you know, you see it in schools, universities, businesses. 
I mean, you can't get away from that stuff, the, the critical race theory. Uh, our economy is, is not doing well. Uh, there's still massive unemployment. We've got tremendous amount of, uh, of price inflation. Prices are going up at a very fast pace and probably will continue to because the uh, because of all the money printing that that has already been done and will continue to is being done and will continue to be done for the foreseeable future so, i mean there's there's problems everywhere there's problems socially there's problems economically um there's problems politically both in domestic politics as well as as well as uh foreign politics uh, geopolitics there's a very unstable world out there I mean, there's just a lot of bad stuff happening. I mean, you've got um, you've got people trying to to undermine the First Amendment here in the United States, and they have to a, a remarkable degree done so. You've got people trying to undermine the Second Amendment, that is the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, you have a president, and the whole administration is very hostile to the idea that Americans have the right to own guns, which they do, and it's guaranteed in the Constitution. You know, and I know Joe Biden doesn't like that, but the Constitution says that I, as well as my fellow citizens of the United States, have a right to keep and bear arms. You know, that, that right shall not be infringed. You know, I, but the, you know, as the Constitution says, but, uh, you know, our, uh, our politicians don't have a lot of respect for that. So, yeah, you know, there's a lot of really bad stuff going on. Um, you know, the, uh, the mayor of Chicago, um, Lori Lightfoot just the other day, and, and she's a lesbian. Uh, the mayor of Chicago, uh, actually said she was going to refuse to give, uh, interviews to white journalists. She would talk to black and brown journalists only. Uh, Lori Lightfoot is, is black. Uh, I mean, an openly racist statement and almost nobody rebuked her. In fact, the only, the only person I've actually seen really take her to task, was a, a former Democratic representative from Hawaii, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, told her that she should uh, resign over her racist remarks. And she should. Uh, she won't, but she should. Uh, and she ought to be kicked out of office if she doesn't resign, but that's probably not going to happen either. Uh, but that's the tenor of of our politics in the United States today. I mean, it's it's openly raced. The, the amount of open... Anti-white racism in the United States is truly shocking. I have never uh, seen anything quite like that. But it's uh, not only is accepted, but the people that promote this stuff, by and large, are congratulated uh, for it. I mean, there's very little pushback on it. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. So we've got that to deal with, too. So there's all these problems out there. And, and you know, it's, it's very easy as, as Christians to, to get discouraged. I mean, I know, you know, I get discouraged. I like to sit here and say, oh, you know, I, I, you know, this stuff doesn't bother me. It just, you know, rolls off like the, the water off a duck's back. But I mean, it's kind of hard to see the sorts of things that are going on in the country today and, and not be bothered by them and not be concerned by them. Because I am. You know, I mean, this is where I live. This is where the many of the people that I, I love lived live. And I mean, I have deep roots in this country. It goes way back. I mean, we there were Matthews living in America before there was the United States of America. So I mean, I've got a you know I've got a lot of skin in the game, and and I I hate 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 the things that I see going on in my country. Uh, but as a Christian, you know, as somebody who believes in the sovereignty of God, you know, I know that these things are of the Lord, and and He has His reasons, and I think some of these reasons we can discern. Um, I think in some ways this is chastisement. I, I think you know, a, I had a friend of mine one time tell me, uh, 
and I think a very perceptive uh, friend as well, um, doctrinally, theologically, he's a Christian. And he said, you know, you know that uh, I believe that the United States is under uh, under God's curse, and and you know, and I think he's right. Uh, and it's kind of hard when you look at the kinds of things that go on here to say that we don't deserve that. And and one of the things that you see in Scripture is God talks about you know destroying the counsel of the wise. You know, he he talks about that, and in, in fact, in in one of John Robbins' essays, uh, uh, he quotes several uh, passages in the Bible where God talks about destroying uh, people's ability to think straight because He was intended to destroy these nations. And I mean, one thing's for sure is you certainly have people in this country that they can't think straight. A large numbers of people cannot think straight; they can't think logically. Um. You know, and even even very things that were just taken for granted a few years ago, people cannot think think logically, and we don't even know what marriage is. So, I mean, people, if we can't get a question like that right, how can you get any anything more advanced right? I think it'd be pretty difficult. But you know, for all of that, you know, there is a a passage, and I actually was in my my Bible reading this past week. I came across this, and it's one that's really resonated with me. And, and it's something I want to leave you with because you know when when you read through this stuff, as I said, it can be very discouraging. But this is for, this is a passage. It's a, a couple of yeah, three verses from uh, from Second Samuel. It's toward the end of Second Samuel. It's Second Samuel twenty two, two to four. And and here the uh, the words of of David are quoted. And I'll just just read this here. Uh, and he, and, and when it says he, it's talking about David. And when he, that is David, said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. And you know that's a a a remarkable passage. I think one of the things that really strikes me about it is is the way that that David just piles on all of these um, descriptions of God and, and who He is. I mean, you know, he could just have been satisfied with saying the Lord is my rock and my fortress, but he doesn't stop with that. I mean, to say the Lord is my rock and my fortress, well, yeah, that that's true. But he just he he adds on. He he adds on. He's he's my deliverer. Uh, he's my shield. He's the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my savior. And and, and the God of David is the same God is is our God. He's the God of you. He's the God of me. You know, he he's our God. The same God that David called upon, who delivered David from his enemies, from Saul, from from Absalom, from the Philistines, from uh, some of the other surrounding nations. That same God is is our God, and in Him we trust, and in trusting Him, so shall we be uh, saved from our enemies. Now, I don't know exactly how everything is going to work out. You know, sometimes people have been killed for their faith. You know, and I think as Americans, and I think as you know, if, if you happen to live in the West, I mean, we're facing some very difficult times. Um, you know, there have been reports out of out, out of Canada, several reports of. I can think of three off the top of my head of ministers who have been arrested. Churches have been shut down, uh, padlocked or had uh, fences built around them for for violating COVID orders. Um, 
you know, and I don't think that this is something that's going to go away. You know, I, I think another source of uh, of real persecution can come from the homosexual lobby, and that that already has happened. And I believe that has happened in Canada and in other nations. And if it can happen in Canada and other nations in the West, it can happen in the United States or anywhere else. And you know, as, as Christians, I mean, it's easy sometimes to want to just just shrink back, to not say anything, to not speak out, to to lose hope. But, you know, you think about David, and David was in some pretty dire straits, right? I mean, you know, and David even got discouraged. I mean, you know, one time, you know, he, he fled to the Philistines, and he served the one, uh, the, uh, I, I can't remember the Philistine kings, one of the lords of the Philistines, and, and, and he served him, and, and uh, because he thought that, that maybe he didn't have a future. He said, you know, surely Saul's going to kill me if I stay here. And, and so even David seemed to get a little maybe struggled a little bit with faith uh, at, at times. Yeah, and and so it's, you know, if David can struggle, I mean, I think we certainly can admit to, to struggling too. But, I mean, you see the words of David, and, you know, and David did ultimately trust in the Lord. And, and that's, that is who you and I have to trust. You think about the great line from Martin Luther, you know, a mighty fortress is my God, you know, that, that the, the right man is on our side, the man of God's own choosing. And it's through studying the scriptures. It's through uh, strengthening one another in the Lord, praying for one another, praying for the country, speaking out when you see, uh, when you see the, the enemies of, uh, of, of God attack. You know, when, you, when you see this kind of thing, when you see people trying to get us in, involved in, in wars that are not ours, when you see uh, the Pope attempting to oppose world government on, on, on our country, we need to pray against this stuff. And we know that God is on our side for this. You know, we, and, and, and we know that he's able and we know that he's faithful. And, and he's been faithful to us so far and he will continue to be faithful. And so that's something I want to leave you with. It's, a, I think, a, a hopeful verse. So uh, anyway, that's all for this week. Thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate that. And uh, until next time, May the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's word. Good night, everybody.